0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher.
1: And I'm Scott Galloway.
0: Hi, Scott. How you doing? I feel much better. Thank you for asking.
1: Uh, You just, like you literally have been sick 10 of the 12 last weeks. What's...
0: Yeah, I took, I went to one medical, I got medicated, I got a chest x-ray. It turns out I had flu and the pneumonia at the same time. I did not have COVID. uh, And I got the drugs and within 24 hours, I felt better. I'm still a little congested, but uh, really astonishing service. And I'm going on Wednesday for a follow-up. It was the easiest thing I've done in a long time, I have to say. All hail Jeff Bezos on this issue, at least.
1: Well, um, we're glad you're doing better.
0: Yeah. It is really remarkable how easy it is to make healthcare pleasant.
1: I may go get I'm thinking about getting a colonoscopy every month. I find when I get surgery, they're they're just so attentive to me. They're so nice. Oh, no. Do not get a colonoscopy.
0: You you tape that, right? Katie Couric, wannabe. they are
1: so concerned with me.
0: Yeah. I think your colon's just fine.
1: Colon of a supermodel. That's what they told me.
0: I have a colon of a 20-year-old who has no fun. That's what they told me. Literally. Hmm. They're like, you look like a 20-year-old who's never had any fun. I was like, that is about correct. That's about accurate. So there you have it. We are healthy. So we're going to be here for you.
1: This is what old people do. They bring
0: the up. No, we're very healthy, Scott. We really are. uh, In general, except for these ridiculous. uh,
1: Except when the dog's in Mexico. It's the new movie called Cocaine Dogs.
0: Cocaine Bear. I'm so glad your life was adapted into a movie. Cocaine Bear uh, grows $28 million globally over the opening weekend. I could have
1: helped. I should have been a special advisor on that film. They should have had the Bear think that helicopters were following him.
2: Yeah. And also
1: a good character would have been the uh, Coca-Cola Bear really jealous that Cocaine Bear got his own movie.
0: Yeah. I don't even Uh, know what this movie's about. I I think
1: they had Disney for a week. Yeah, They should replace every character with Cocaine Bear. Like that's oh. it. You yeah, go that's into what any castle, it's just cocaine bear. Uh, uh, no,
0: I watched so much Disney this week. We went to New York and we didn't stay at your place. We stayed in Brooklyn. Because yeah, I had to interview what, Audie what's going Cornish. On with that? Well, several things. I we stopped and uh, see some friends of mine where I grew up in Princeton. And then we went to New York to I had to interview Audie Cornish. She won a 2023 Audio Vanguard Award. And hmm. so she asked me to interview her. Uh, it was an hour interview. We're going to make it into a podcast, Nick, on Thursday, I think. And it was great. I love Audie, as you know. She's at, uh, she's at CNN. She was at NPR. Mm-hmm. She's a kick ass lady. And so she asked me and I did it. And then we went to dinner and then met Louie in Chinatown and went for dim sum. That's so uh, nice. And walk. And then Louie and Clara went off on their own and went to candy stores and et cetera. So we had a really, really nice weekend. We had a lovely weekend with the fams.
1: Uh, so okay, so good enough. Let's bring this back to me. Did you see me on um CNN this weekend? I was on Smirconish.
0: No, I did not.
1: And Chris Licht finally reached out to me, the head oh. of CNN. He saw the segment and said, We should talk. I think it's because I'm seen as a centrist.
0: Oh, I see. I, I see. I'm one of the centrist say, now. Yeah, or maybe you talked about how you didn't get paid or something. That why didn't you call me? And you called audience. Oh, he listens to pivot, you know.
1: Oh, he does. Yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, that. yeah, we text um, but every now I now and talked again. about. I really, I love Michael Smirconish, and he invited me on a year ago to talk about failing young men when it was not politically correct, and people got angry, because yeah. of course, if you ever advocate for sure. men, people think you're somehow being anti-women.
0: No, you do that in different ways, but go ahead, sorry. Go
1: That's ahead. not fair. I'm That's teasing th- you. Oh my That's God, take fair. a joke,
0: cocaine bear. Move you know,
1: along. When I, choose between, oh, well, oh. when I choose between going on CNN and Fox, you know what I choose? What? Blow jobs. Oh. <laughs> did I just <laughs> okay. say that? Did okay. I just
0: say that? Okay, yeah. Okay, move <laughs> along. What did you go? So anyway, Chris Lick there. called you.
1: Let's on a... this
0: plane. Let's lay on this cocaine uh, plane. Yeah, go I'm, ahead.
1: I'm now considered a centrist. So oh,
0: you are? Okay. Soon,
1: uh, Kara, I'm predicting right now, uh, a yeah. soon-to-be-failed fifth show somewhere in the universe. Oh, that would be so universe. great.
0: You know what somewhere. I proposed to Chris Lick? I text What's him that? now and again with some ideas.
1: You always have to one-up me. I say that Chris Licht emailed yeah. me and you say, well, and I text him ideas. You always have to no, one-up me. No, I text him ideas oh, about
0: you, Scott, actually, yeah, no, oddly enough. That. I think we should have a show. You know how there's the five on Fox? I think we should have- I have
1: never I, seen that show.
0: Whatever. It's a good show. It's a good show, even though I hate him, um, but it's well done. I, I know why no. it works. And so I think we, I wanted to have a show. I said, let's do the six or the four. And He's sort of like, uh like sort of they're gonna sue us, right, Karen? I'm like good, this is good. But then Amanda said we should call it the five point one.
1: Who would the other two be?
0: Who would we have? George Hahn. George Hahn.
1: You Cocaine know, bear, obviously. We need know. a conservative. We need like a, but you need to do what Fox does when they bring on a liberal. They yeah. bring on the most repellent person from the other side to basically make their not point. Not on the
0: five. They have Jessica Tarloff. I love her. Oh She's my, great.
1: God. do you remember the liberal guy they had yes, on Fox?
0: Yes, Combs. Alan Combs. He's not living and He was with Hannity and Combs, remember?
1: Yeah, but he was distinctly unlikable. And then who did The View bring in? They brought oh, in that quarterback. A- a- Alyssa
0: Farah is there now. She's quite no.
1: good not not her before that Megan McCain yeah. yeah that's right who i think is distinctly i, I just you know I, dull but dumb um I would go, is, that, is that hard? is that I, too harsh I, I, no my, my and who was before there. that remember the quarterback's wife that used to just I get so know. angry she'd start screaming well she was just i don't know
0: i think Alyssa Farah is very smart
1: I don't I don't watch the view. She's I can good. say that with honesty. Yes,
0: I think we should do this and we should have like outrageous people. Chris call us. We are you we're going to save CNN for you and make tons of money in the process and then we're going to bring cocaine bear on and cause an international incident and then we're going to like get fired spectacularly. What do you think? I thought
1: cocaine bear was the sequel to Paddington 2. It's oh not. It's okay. not.
0: Let's move on. Okay, hey, we'll talk Paddington about... Paddington
1: hits a midlife crisis, pay- starts banging his secretary, and gets addicted to cocaine. Now, there's Chris? a franchise film. Yeah, okay. We, just before we move on, I know a lot of young men listen to this, and I've been, I talk a lot about drug use, and I'm one of the reasons yeah. I work out a lot and try to eat well is so I can enjoy alcohol and THC in moderation. Yeah. I have never done cocaine. I will never do cocaine, and I think it is a terrible drug. Okay. And I have been around a lot of people... Yeah. who use and abuse cocaine. And what I would say to young people is that...
0: Do not do um, what the bear does.
1: It's just not a good drug. There no. are good drugs and there are bad drugs. This falls under I've the- never
0: even seen cocaine. I told you this story. People used to think I took cocaine regularly because I was so manic Yeah, in college. Oh, well, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I saw it in Newsweek magazine once. Anyway... Today, we'll talk about whether it pays to be loyal to Elon Musk, also Meta joins the AI race, and we'll speak with author Malcolm Harris about how Silicon Valley helped capitalism take over the world. But first, hundreds of newspapers around the country have dropped the Dilbert comic strip after creator Scott Adams called Black people, quote, a hate group in a YouTube live stream. Adams was responding to the results of a dubious public opinion poll where 26% of Black respondents disagreed with the statement that it's okay to be white. Adams reacted to the backlash in a subsequent YouTube show, saying, quote, most of my income will be gone by next week, and that, quote, my reputation for the rest of my life is destroyed. Scott, you destroyed it yourself. On Monday, Dilbert's distributor cut ties with the cartoonist. Many editors are defending the decision, saying this is not censorship, it's an editorial decision. Over on social media, by the way, he did have one defender. Elon Musk came to Adam's defense as uh, newspapers dropped Dilbert. He tweeted the following. For a very long time, the U.S. media was racist against non-white people. Now they're racist against whites and Asians. When another user said, quote, there's an element of truth to uh, Adam's comments, Musk replied, exactly, appears to have deleted those tweets. Oh, Elon, he can't get his little mitts out of other people's ridiculous controversies. That's my feeling. But let's ignore him for a minute. He's a fucking idiot. But what do you think about this Scott Adams thing? He's a very, he's sort of slowly, like, festered on Twitter, I've noticed over the years. I used to think he was somewhat smart.
1: Uh, Well, uh, first off, I I think Scott Adams is a genius. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's not to say he's not a bigot. It's not to say he's not a bad person. Um, But uh, as someone who— I thought he was smart, yeah. someone who, but there's just a unique uniqueness to his work and an insight. He's a genius. I think he Mm -hmm. deserves to be worth a lot of money. And I got, I remember seeing Dilbert when I was in high school or when my first job and just thinking this guy just has such crisp insight. Yeah. Uh, He's, I wouldn't say he's attacked me on Twitter, but he's come after me a couple of times for my comments on Elon Musk. Yeah. And Look, I'm I'm of two minds of this, and the definition of intelligence, according to F. Scott Fitzgerald, is to have two kind of contrary thoughts in your mind at the same time. And I'm sort of look. I I, I ultimately come down on the place that a newspaper gets to make editorial decisions. That's correct. And we live in we live in an age where your off camera behavior can impact people's perception of your on camera work. And he is purposefully pretty. This isn't like one. This no, isn't he's like a. For a while. Yeah. This isn't an off-color comment from Don Lemon. This isn't an accidental. I fucked up and I apologize. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in favor of Kanye. Yeah, Kanye. He seemed to go out of his way to not only he does. To, to not have a what I'd call a thoughtful discussion around these, around this stuff, like the anti, you know, it, 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 talking about the problems of the woke movement or cancel culture. Yeah. I get that. I think that should be an important conversation. It seemed like he was constantly trying. To provoke it on the side of meanness, and it just all felt like it was verging into always finding reasons for why, um, yeah. you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement was wrong. And when he yeah. comes out and makes a blanket statement like black people are a hate yeah. group,
0: he said white people like, shouldn't on. it shouldn't be be around them, and should we should avoid each other. It was, yeah, I, I, I mean, have you lost like, it, wrong? brother? I know he's done that a lot. He goes off the D. He's done that to me, exact same thing. Oh. Dilbert, very smart. But man, it's not that good, Scott. It's not, not the other Scott, not you, Scott, yeah, Scott yeah. Adams. You know what? It's good, but you're not fucking that good. And by the way, you're a racist. I'm sorry. It's just, there's just, like, I don't use that term lightly, but honestly, yeah, you go out of, of your it. way. No, you actually, you know what you are? You're an asshole. That's what you are. That's what you, you know, you, he does. He goes out of his way to tweak people, to get, to, to promote reaction, to make people angry. It's interesting because I, I liked a Mike Moritz column in the New York Times. I haven't seen Mike Moritz in a decade. He's a venture capitalist. He used to be a journalist, Very smart venture capitalist. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a very reasonable thing about Francisco. Francisco. And he had a very thoughtful thing. He didn't have enough solutions. And I said, this is, you should start reading this piece. an interesting piece. And he's right about, and I've interviewed uh, London Breed and um, mm-hmm. the, the DA who all say the same thing that he did. And I got like wanged by all these leftists who were like, how dare you go with an oligarch? I'm like, get off the fucking, get, get off the lawn, people. I've been beating up on billionaires since you were in short pants. And I know the difference. And I'm going to have a good discussion with someone who cares about the city. And so this guy goes out of his way to be an asshole. And if they, if newspapers want to dump them for saying stupid things, more of it, as far as I'm concerned. They can put whoever they want in their pages. Um, yeah,
1: and then and then the twenty percent is, but the eighty percent you're bringing up, and I'll come back to Mike Moritz sure. in a moment because uh, I hold grudges. Twenty percent of it is there's a fear, and I think a healthy fear, that someone's off-camera political views mm-hmm. begin to contaminate and threaten their livelihood. Yeah, and I I don't. So I initially have what I'd call my Spidey sense out. Like I don't mm-hmm. like I don't like that. But in this instance, he's a very wealthy man. He's going to be just fine. And he has been like poking the bear here for a long, long time. He wants to, and he doesn't want to have solutions. He doesn't want to talk thoughtfully yep. about it. Yes. He wants to make Trouble. kind of incendiary comments to inflame yep. the dialogue and, and, and make it less productive. He's
0: a bomb thrower of no
1: use to us. Yeah, supporting Kanye. He is, yeah. by the way, he's a huge Elon fan.
0: I know. Well, I know. He's well, one of those Elon people. Elon defended him. You saw. He's one of those people that
1: will throw himself in front of anybody who says anything about Elon. I know. It's kind of sick. So look. Your brain's been pickled,
0: Scott Adams. I'll tell you. You had a good brain too bad.
1: The natural arc of his career, and I I don't, he's a brilliant, he's a brilliant animator. He's made a shit ton of money. He's had a lot of influence. He's said consistently uh, things that are not productive. And even borderline hateful. Mm. And I don't like to use that word a lot because, uh, and it's like, if you just take all of these frames of a film, I think you got to take the full 35 frames of a person's yeah. life. Okay. And if, if on the whole, they've tried to advance the rights of people and they're generally consistent and thoughtful and they fuck up, okay, you, you cut them some slack. And one of the things I don't like sometimes is people say, that's it. One strike, yeah. you're out. That's not the case here. That's not the case here. But more importantly, back to Mike Moritz, whatever he wrote, he's wrong. He is a small person. I I was chairman of a company, and then Mike became chairman, and he was vindictive. If he reflects in any way the culture at Sequoia Capital... I would encourage any entrepreneur to never take their market.
0: Oh, he's can be—he's a tough one. I know my ex-wife doesn't like he's him. He's not
1: tough. He's a vindictive man. All right, all right. Man. okay.
0: He wrote a good piece that I liked. Nonetheless, I was making his point. Nonetheless, I haven't talked to him in more than a decade. In any case,
1: cocaine bear. Cocaine
0: bear has got to calm the fuck down. If we had a list of people you're on your,
1: I list. have grudges. I treat them like my plants. I nurture them. I water them and I I love them. I nurture them. I know. I
0: don't. I'm like, whatever. Move along. Let's move on. House Republicans are launching investigations into the toxic train derailment in Ohio. Multiple committees are looking into the disaster and could likely call Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to testify, which all seems like a good idea. On Twitter, Buttigieg sparred with Senator Marco Rubio, who has called for the secretary's resignation, proving once again that Marco Rubio is a useless leader. They're making it into a political thing. Trump went there. It's a terrible disaster. Republicans aren't going to the bottom of this because they took off uh, safety regulations in the Trump administration. This should be looked at as a nonpartisan thing for the poor people of Ohio. Uh, Buttigieg didn't cause this. But he's responsible for it and he has to deal with it. And that's what's most important to me. And so politicizing, Marco Rubio, as usual, a once interesting politician is now such a chode.
1: I thought Bill Maher had this really interesting segment saying that on so many movies, Mm -hmm. people have hated each other. You can imagine big egos. Yeah. They just get on the film set and they won't even, you know, they won't even look each other in the eye. They find each other so repellent. They were talking about... Uh, Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron and the in uh, the Mad Max Fury Road, and I'm like, and it's hard to imagine because their chemistry is so strong, yeah. and the movie's so amazing. They're actors, and what he pointed out is something really important, and that is there are a lot of companies, creative expressions, there are a lot of organizations that manage to produce amazing work, even if the players hate each other because they realize their job is to get the job done. And in Washington, people hate each other so much they refuse to acknowledge what is our job and do it and put it aside and figure it out. Because I believe every one of them or near every one of them, including both the senators from my state, Florida, Senator Rick Scott and uh, Senator Rubio, they think the only job, their only job, it isn't to make Florida better. It isn't to figure out a way to bring prescription prices down, make the economy stronger, make people less divided. Their only job, their only goal from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep is they think they should be president. Yeah. And Marco Rubio has been running for president. He He will start going to Iowa soon. This is nothing but grandstanding. He doesn't give a flying fuck about Ohio. I know.
0: That's the thing. It's clear Listen, little Marco, you're not going to be president. You're not going to be president. I'm going to give that. I'm going to make that prediction right now.
1: Senator Scott. Look at Senator Scott. Not
0: going to be another not going to be president.
1: doesn't get along with Mitch McConnell. He doesn't even get along with DeSantis. And he just proposed legislation to do away with the entire federal government. It's like, okay, good luck with that. Because all of these, all these individuals do every morning is they don't think what could get passed? How could I work with the other side? It's like, what will inflame the other side such that the far right will want me to win the general in Iowa? That is what everything they think about. Marco Rubio, Senator Rubio, yeah, uh, had a chance. He was part of the gang for immigration reform, and because he wanted to cater to the far right, he refused to do yep. anything resembling any sort of amnesty. The thing fell apart, and we've had basically twenty Weak. years of a non non immigration policy. Noodle, noodle,
0: noodle spine people. You know, I think people are just trying to do the right thing here. I, I he's political too, but honestly, it's not. He's trying to fix it. Just help him, help the people of Ohio. You dumb fucks. Anyway, so let's get to our first big story. It's been zero days since Twitter went through some drama. The company cut about 10% of its existing staff over the weekend and uh, I think Elon tweeted, have a nice Sunday to people. That was real nice. Bringing his headcount to below 2,000 staffers. He's really cut this company down from 7,500. Also out, payments chief Esther Crawford, who oversaw Twitter Blue subscription product. Crawford was an Elon Musk loyalist in an extreme way, who tweeted photos of herself sleeping in the office after the takeover in a sleeping bag. On Monday, Musk announced the company will reward remaining employees with supposedly significant performance-based stock and compensation awards. Let me just say, I want to tell you a funny thing. So that picture of Crawford, which I think, you know, self-abasement is, can, knows no lows. Um, she was trying to be like, you know, rah-rah Elon person, hardcore. And I was, was explaining it to uh, Alex over breakfast this morning. And, uh, suddenly Clara goes, sleeping bag? I want my sleeping bag. And so I had to literally get up and go get her sleeping bag. Um, but. That sleeping bag picture was so embarrassing on so many levels, but, you know, whatever she wants to post it and look stupid, that's fine. Uh, she tweeted, of course, the worst take you could have from watching me go all in on Twitter 2.0 is that my optimism or hard work was a mistake. Those who jeer and mock are necessarily on the sidelines, not in the arena. I'm deeply proud for the team for building through so much chaos and noise. I'm sorry, Esther. This is just nonsense. Well, interestingly, it reminds me a great deal of Yahoo and Uber executives who used to attack me relentlessly. And then when they leave, they call me quietly like, oh, you were right the whole time. And they were vile the entire time before. Anyway, what do you think?
1: The lesson here is when you're fired or you leave a company, you, yeah. you, you don't go, you don't make public statements. You, you, you Or the only public statement you says, I'm grateful experienced experience it, you know. X company and wish them all the best. That's it. Yeah, This whole melodrama about how it's a big deal in a soap opera and this somehow reflects, uh, I didn't like it when whatever his name was, James Comey, when he was fired, made it a big deal about America when he was fired. You know what? People get fired. That's okay. That's called capitalism.
0: That was a weird firing. Come on. That was a weird firing.
1: You're going to be just fine. You're going to find another job. And the, the loyalty, the lo- Trump and Musk are kind of the same person. Although Musk has, I think another 30 or 40 IQ points. Yeah. At least. But essentially loyalty just goes one way. Yeah. It's like, I demand total loyalty and I will reciprocate it until it no longer makes sense for me. And then, and then you're out. But what I find fascinating here is that. I just can't get over how many people he's fired, and yeah. the and the product is still oh, up and yes. running. I wonder when the whole thing's literally going to collapse on I'm itself. I'm
0: feeling collapse Feel, Well, she she put out a shitty product. I don't know if it's her fault necessarily, but it didn't work because they were just like trying she to rah-rah. She was rah- Twitter rah. blue.
1: Is that right? Yeah.
0: They were trying to rah-rah themselves. No, that didn't it was work. a disaster. Why could you say, oops, it didn't work? That's all, yeah. that's all I want from her. If she's going to say something, just say, oh, it didn't work. I, I was fired. I was exited. You just, it just—it's like the rah-rah bullshit. It's—I find that really repugnant in many ways. You know, the thing is, are these stock awards? Who's left? This is like—you know—it feels like the glass friggin' onion here. But are the stock awards valuable to employees? that have to IPO, right? Presumably to get. Well, it, it all comes down. Why would you
1: stay for the one? Well, what? It, it all comes to the just, uh, To answer that question, you just need to see the terms. If the yeah. if the options are struck at, you know, a value of 1 billion recognizing that the company is worth less than the debt. It's, if it's RSE, I mean, it just, what are the terms of the stock? If he's, if he's writing options at his acquisition price of 45 billion, you know, then the, then the equity is meaningless. I find it's really shocking how many um, employees don't really understand the semantics of stock options. And what I always say to people who are negotiating a salary, I say, don't ask for more salary, ask for more stock options and then call me and tell me, vesting, whether it's single trigger, double trigger, the, the pricing on those options, what they're struck at. Because the majority of people who get really wealthy in corporate America do it one of two ways. They either do it slowly with forced savings through 401k, or they're responsible and they live below their means. It's, uh, corporations, the U.S. corporation is still the ultimate vehicle or platform for building wealth. And the other way, the way you kind of get rich quick, if you will, at an organization, especially in tech, is through options and equity awards. Yeah. But what they do is management screw
0: you. They can screw you.
1: Management perceives that other than the top, you know, five percent of the executive washroom, nobody really understands equity. So what Mm -hmm. they do is they kind of fuck everybody. Yeah. (laughs) They give you they give you a few options and they make it sound like it's a big deal. No, you should really do the math. Yeah, And say, Okay, if the stock doubles And the CEO is going to make another $100 million. Am I going to get, you know, $11,000 in a free toaster? Yeah. And the, the advice I always give to young people is to say, look, I want to be an owner in this company and I assume you want me to act like an owner. So you want, you should make me an owner. And I want, I want to see if I can get into the next band of options because it's an inexpensive way for management to get you emotionally invested in the company. Now it costs existing shareholders because there's a dilution there. If you exercise your options, but the way you're going to make any real cabbage at an organization is usually through equity. It's important to understand your options. So bottom line is, you asked me, are they worth anything? I need to see the terms.
0: Yeah. yep, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, the, the blue thing, which we talked about last week, that Meta's is probably going to do pretty well and make some money at, had fewer than 200,000 subscribers in the U.S., uh, that it's just a failed product. And that's why you fire someone. And uh, what's interesting is stock awards. They really do have to stay. And I wouldn't trust him to pay me. I trust them to renege. Because like, look, Twitter employees lost access to Slack for at least a day last week. Re- Platformer reported the company hadn't paid its Slack bill. Uh, and that has, uh, they don't know if that's the reason for the blackout. They say that Um someone apparently tur- Twitter manly turned off access. They don't even know. And so, like, I wouldn't even trust him, even if he said he was going to pay me at a number that he would You don't pay. need to this trust guy, him, uh, though. Uh, uh, yeah, he spent a lot of time. I bet the people, like, I bet Vijay hasn't gotten her money. I bet none of those people. I don't even well, ask them. Well, th- th-
1: this is a really important point. So, his word now, even legal contracts, he's yeah. kind of set a new precedent where he's just said, okay, I sign a five-year lease or a 10-year lease on a building. I'm not yeah. going to pay. Yeah, Uh, you have a contract that says if you get terminated, you get six or twelve months of severance. I'm not going to pay. Take me to court. Yeah, Yeah. and it's an abuse. It's not only reflects, in my opinion, poor character when the wealthiest man in the world decides he's not going to pay his rent. Or there, there are air charter companies that are now have not been paid for flights he's taken. Yeah, but individuals who get fired, which is obviously upsetting, um, now. Basically, get a call saying, or no call from HR because there's no one there. No, he's decided not to pay. And they're like, "Well, he has to." And they're like, "Yeah, but sue him." And his attitude is, "You, there just a bait. certain number of people just won't sue me, or I'll make their life hard." It's kind of the Roy Cohn, that's um, the Trump Donald thing. Trump. Trump does it,
0: yeah. Again, the, another fuck these people. I use them. They're fu- you're fodder, Esther. That's what you are. Just so you know.
1: But when people call me and occasionally say, "I'm going to work for a company. Can I trust this guy?" And I'm like, well, the reason why you have a contract is such that you don't need to trust them. Yeah. And uh, an options agreement is a legal agreement and, and it should be legally enforceable. And yeah. it, and it will be if he awards options and then they're in the money and the company gets sold or goes public. Even if he decides he's not going to pay you, it might cost you some money. Those people he's, he owes severance to, they'll get their money.
0: I know, but it's a long and slaggish. It, it, it is. I remember when we were leaving News Corp, in very high up. I'll say who it was. It was Peter Chernin. He said, you're leaving him. He's going to do something bad to you. I said, we're tiny. And he, that's exactly what happened. And I said, why? He goes, because he can. You know, it was Murdoch. He was talking about Murdoch. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, the, and he did well under Murdoch. But um it was really, um I'm always surprised by this. Just give the people the money and let them go. But he won't he wants to save every nasty nickel he's got I guess
1: I don't know But I mean they're down to what less than 2,000 people 2,000
0: I know I don't
1: and know And you how you, it going. you said this I haven't seen it because and I want to talk a little bit about Twitter you said you've seen evidence of the of diminishing oh, quality yeah. and that it's getting buggy
0: Yeah I have to like click things several times I think it's bailing wire and bubblegum that's what's happening here um, I, I just, I, it's got, they can't introduce new things yet, or maybe he'll just rebuild it or bring in a new design. It's not unfixable for sure, but it's, he's making it increasingly unfixable. He's, he's just probably realized this particular team sucked or it wasn't to his liking. And um one of the other, or maybe they were good and he just didn't like them and dumped them. That's all. And he's going to keep doing it, folks who are still there, just so you know. And I would say, give me a call. But, you know, don't even bother giving me a call. I've had that call. I've been on the end of that call from Uber and Yahoo and all these companies where you had shitty CEOs. And you call me and say, I can't believe you. You were so right. And I'm like, I, I- I'm literally am going to hang
1: up. I can't believe call. you were so right. <laughs>
0: they do. They say that. Don't they say we that.
1: like me. No, but I I'm telling you, I'm telling right you, you I got
0: strafed by people <laughs> who then apologized and tried to take me out to lunch. And I just, you know, what they're doing a platformer, same thing, you right. know, just they're right. They're, they're very good reporters and they're accurate. And it happened at Uber. I had those people over my back and our staff's back. And it was just ridiculous. Listen to good they're reporters, my friends. Ridiculous. ridiculous. I'm defending the line reporting of Casey and Zoe and all the others. They're doing a great job. I, things I've mm-hmm. checked, they're doing a great job.
1: Did I tell I called Casey and I said, Casey, I think you're a super talented young man. Yeah. And I had some ideas for his career. And I said, I would like to leverage the platform of Prop G to kind of yeah. elevate your stuff. And he told me what he was thinking. And I'm like, we should come to work for you.
0: <laughs> I'm,
1: like, <laughs> I'm like, don't listen to me. Yeah. You, you should mentor me. I'm like, will you mentor me?
0: Guess who his mentor is, Kara Swisher. Just so you
1: know. I know. So, and you can't get over how right you are all the time.
0: Right. I am right. And this but one I, know, I am.
1: I get it. I get it. We could not be more different. I, I wake up every morning and I'm like, how many stupid fucking things did I do yesterday? No. no.
0: But here's why it's because we did amazing reporting, and so is Casey, and so are mm-hmm. Zoe. And fuck you, people, for strafing them. I'm sorry. I'm Who's
1: strafing them? I'm. Oh seen my them god! All strafe. the
0: things like Elon was like, this is inaccurate. This is false. This is that. Wow, we're going to sue this person. They're such like gaslighters. Anyway, later they will call you for a drink and don't go. Go. Don't go, Casey. Well, maybe go. Anyway. Zoe, you're doing an excellent job. All right, Scott, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, Meta pivots to AI, and we'll speak with friend of Pivot, Malcolm Harris, about how Palo Alto became the capital of capitalism. Scott, we're back. Meta is jumping into the AI race. At last, Mark Zuckerberg announced that the company has trained new language model and will release it to researchers. The model is called LLAMA, L-L-A-M-A, short for Large language model meta AI llama. Hmm. It differs from chat GPT and Bing in that is a research tool, not a chat bot. Interesting. Meta, I think there's an interesting approach. Meta says that uh, the AI is, quote, part of our ongoing commitment to open science, transparency, and democratize access to new research. This is a new bark. Uh the tool, however, has not been integrated to any of its products, which is probably a good idea, and he'll let other people play with it. Potential users have pointed out that access to Llama, has one one has to apply and wait to be approved. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. So what do you think about this? I, it's, he I has like the
1: name. P- yeah, um Llama. Uh I, I you know cool. Llama Llama
0: Red Pajama. You don't know
1: that. Uh if someone has someone has a two year old. Anyways, um I like the name. Uh I would bet against it. Facebook or Meta uh, you know, the number of products they've developed internally, they're great at incremental improvement, which is a form of innovation. This
0: they're good at, but go
1: ahead. They're great at acquisition. Mm. I don't know. I don't, I don't, uh, tr- 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 as it relates to innovation around new product development, that's just not their strong suit. But they're
0: not doing it. They're doing it as a research, so they're letting it out. And so other people can – I think it's a smart move given what everyone else has done. Here they are. It's probably not ready for prime time for products. Right. Let people play with it. Let people figure it out. Yeah. And, and then they can use it and perfect it and point out the problems. And then they don't get slapped with uh, Facebook's, you know, chatbot just called me a whore. You know, that's not, they're not going to get one of those from I the. You know, I asked for that. No, I know. You <laughs> know what I mean? I think it's actually kind of smart. I don't necessarily trust them any more than anybody else. And you know, Monday, Snapchat announced it's adding ChatGPT-powered chatbot to its app only to pay subscribers. But mm-hmm. this is coming, and this is a way to do it and not get you know if he, one wrong move by Mark Zuckerberg he gets 10 arrows rather than mm-hmm. one right and sacha gets one or two
1: mm-hmm. and
0: so i think it's not a i don't know i think it's pretty interesting yeah,
1: I, I think those are good points yeah i'll sign yeah. up All right, uh, okay just to check i don't it
0: out. so scott are you still up not a bear not a cocaine bear are you a cocaine bull on uh, facebook still
1: i think it's up 40% since we made the recommendation I, um it I think two things are going to drive the stock even higher. And I I don't like this. I don't own the stock. Um, One, they got about $1.2 billion a month they could send right to the bottom line the moment Mm -hmm. they like wake, the moment, you know, at some point they wake up from this Michael Jackson prop and all, like. Mm-hmm. sleep they in. I don't know what the term yeah. would be. Anyways.
0: Yeah. Michael Jackson it, didn't wake up, but go ahead.
1: Well, he actually, he woke up every night for 10 years. Uh, the reason he didn't wake mm-hmm. up is because he, he, he was being put under every night for like years. Yeah, I get it. Anyways. And then the second thing is, I think, I think they could do, I think they could realize the subscription vision we've been talking about for Twitter at Meta mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and with verified and just the user base they have. And if they figure out real value add features And the marketplace values subscription revenue at two to three X, what it values transactional revenue at. And if that thing shows any signs of life. So I'm a big, I'm a big bull on Meta stock. And I hate, I I don't even like saying that. Instagram also. What I have found for Instagram is the power of monopoly. And that is if you're on Instagram, which the majority of the world is, you end up watching a lot of reels because it's kind of a, it's a much lesser version of TikTok, but it's pretty convenient. You're just sort of there, and you start watching it. I think if you look at a valuation, if you look at a price earnings multiple, if you look at its growth, if you look at its moats, if you look at its consumer base, if you look at its move to subscription, and how Stable much Stable
0: CEO. Stable CEO.
1: And, and you look at how much money they could save once they exit, again, mm-hmm. this consensual hallucination around uh, the metaverse. Uh, the stock is just—I would argue the stock's the best buy in tech right now. So— yeah um you know i I'd, I'd like to see I, I you know i'm not a fan of the company i'd like to see it broken up whatever it might be but on a as a stock yeah, yeah yep. i think it's a great right. stock
0: well you've done very well that was a very good prediction i was surprised by that and you've done very well all right let's bring in our friend of pivot Malcolm Harris is the author of Palo Alto a history of California capitalism and the world about how his hometown played an outsized role in the 20th century's social and political movements and what it means for the 21st century. Welcome, Malcolm Harris.
2: Of course. Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, we were talking about Palo Alto just a second ago with Facebook, which had started there. I remember all its various headquarters. I visited all of them from University Avenue to various spots around the area. Um, and I've covered a lot of the companies there in, in and around Palo Alto, most of them. Um, and I'd love you to talk about why, and of course, there's so many, uh, HP, uh, Google, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in the the area, the broad area around there. What does Palo Alto's history specifically unlock about America, Malcolm?
2: Well, it really gives us this nice bookend between the 1870s when capitalism establishes itself as a world system, when the United States as a the nation, we come to understand it today, establishes itself at this time, the mm-hmm. post-Civil War era, uh, bookend all the way to now. And this 150, 170-year period is really the same era that we're in to this day, right? It's our current epoch. And framing it that way, uh, back to the 19th century, to the end of the 19th century, allows us to see the progression of not just technologies, but the impersonal social forces that are driving the creation of these technologies. Yeah,
0: but you you have a geographic specificity. What 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 is what is it about here? Obviously, the, the, the proximity to Stanford University. There's all, and you write about all kinds of things around Stanford. But what was it about here? A, and, and I'm not in Palo Alto right now, but. I spent a lot of time there. What is it about the physical geographical place? Because a lot of people talk about that idea of certain areas that become sort of the center or whatever. That is, is, you know, in ancient Greece or, or London or whatever. What is it about that?
2: Yeah. So California goes from being in the first half of the 19th century, as far as the Western world is concerned, the furthest corner of the world, right? No one has been able to colonize it very effectively. Even Spanish colonization of Alta California is very thin. The Russians are looking, the British are looking, but no one can really figure out uh how to incorporate Alta California into this world system. And then in the second half of the 19th century, not only does this far edge of the world get pulled into this world system for the first time but it becomes the center of this new system you go from being the the last corner of the world to the real middle of this new world at the hinge of the pacific and you see this from the beginning that california is ex- uh, exceedingly technologically advanced mm-hmm. so in the early ages of California agriculture, for example, right. California farms are using three times as many horses as average U.S. farms. Mm-hmm. And that's because they're technologically advanced, right? Horses right. are the engines of the farms at that period mm-hmm. and they're dragging agricultural implements. And you see this all the way through and the radio age is really not that far. Uh, from this early agriculture,
0: HP, even. yeah, this is what this. I mean, I think the center of it. They like to say we used to be lemon fields or apricot fields or whatever. That's their little thing they like to do, but really, it's the it's HP that really unlocked everything.
2: Well, HP was definitely an important uh, bridge or before to that. the post war era. Shock, Shockley,
0: Shockley, Shockley before that. Yeah,
2: Shockley before that. But even before that is Federal Telegraph, mm. which right. is really the first Stanford supported uh, high tech startup. And they're developing the vacuum tube triode, which is more or less what a semiconducting, uh, transistor is, is a triode. And so the, the origins of this Silicon Valley, uh, go back before silicon, right? They were really great glass blowers before they were making silicon chips.
1: Oh, Malcolm, nice to meet you. Just curious what other regions, if you had to bet on what the next Palo Alto would be, have you thought about when you examine the underpinnings of this alchemy that led to just this uh, unprecedented prosperity and innovation, when you look at other regions around the world or in the U.S., do you think that could be the next Palo Alto? The,
2: the whole history of Silicon Valley is the, a history of people thinking like, oh, we could remake yeah. this innovation yeah. district somewhere else, yeah. right? And there are a lot of uh, attempts to do that and a lot of failed attempts right. to do that. And the classic study of this is the one that, that looks at Route 128 and Massachusetts mm-hmm. uh, by Annalise Saxanian. Austin. And this is sort of the dominant perception. Yeah, Austin's another example. You got Silicon Prairie, Silicon There is no Alley, such thing as Silicon Prairie, and, but go ahead. I know. They got all sorts of uh, attempts to remake it. And you can go back to when HP tried to uh, start up a, a new location. I, I believe it was Colorado, and it was a miserable failure. Um, so there have been a lot of these attempts to remake Stanford, remake Palo Alto and other places of the world. And I think the reason it hasn't worked is that Silicon Valley is Silicon Valley to the world, right? Silicon Valley is still Silicon Valley in the Philippines. Silicon Valley is still Silicon Valley in Europe. And that Silicon Valley's relation to the world has always been global. Um, and so you can't just remake it. And I but, think anyone, if let me, let me one industry has gotten it. close. Yeah. Go because
1: for it. there, are, there have been other tech centers that have emerged. I mean, it used to be the valley in the seven dwarves. And now there, there is venture capital has dispersed a little bit. There are other tech centers. Back to what Kara said, doesn't it? If, the, if you were going to pick one attribute, I find trouble ever finding a company worth more than 10 billion in tech that isn't a bike ride from a world class engineering university. Doesn't it? If you were going to attempt to start to, to do some sort of, palo alto doesn't it all start with a world-class engineering university
2: well then you could look at india right Mm -hmm. And so india during the cold war has a number of world-class engineering universities that both the soviets and the americans are competing to invest in technical education in india um and but one of the the consequences that is that you see uh technically skilled Indian workers immigrating to Silicon Valley, right? Hmm. It's not really? that they stay there and build a... And that's because Silicon Valley is still Silicon Valley in India. And so it's this global relation. So if you ask me to pick one place that I see as a deep understanding Israel. of Silicon Valley, is Israel, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Um And and that's <laughs> because recently. they understand...
0: Yeah. No, there was a big story today in the Times yeah. about that. And I would agree. I've been hearing from so many Israeli um entrepreneurs. What Netanyahu's doing is... Killing the tech industry there on some level,
2: but there's a there's a book that's coming out I think in a few months. You should have the author on Mm -hmm. called the Palestine Laboratory, Mm -hmm. that's about the Israeli tech industry and how it's created this, yeah, and how it's created this export really strong export industry after using the occupied territories as a testing ground for this tech that then it exports to other nations. And you see Pegasus is obviously the the biggest example, but it's not the only one. And I think that's a real understanding of what Silicon Valley's role in the world is and what Mm -hmm. Silicon Valley used to be doing. Because David Packard was, you know, he was testifying in front of Congress saying, let us sell signal systems to Iran, to the Shah, Mm -hmm. right? Let us sell signal systems to Idi Amin. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the history of silicon valley yeah and there's a lot of than... military
0: there's a lot you know right now it gets with palantir and everything else it gets um much more attention but it's always been there that's always been a part of it um it, and it does get one of the things that's interesting is the caricature of it's a far left bubble uh it's just mm-hmm. not true it's just not not at all not in my experience these people are not no. they are i call them libertarian light which means they're ignorant of libertarianism but they call themselves mm-hmm.
2: that they do a lot of know, yoga
0: they do a lot of yoga. That's uh, That's not it. That, that knows no politics. But, right, uh, but, exactly. I think but that's what, true. What, how do you look at that? Has that ha- but there are values that shape shape the area. What would you say they are?
2: In terms of the politi- political values of the area and the politics of the area, I mean, I think people have really short memories. Mm-hmm. So like you said, people think of, there are maybe two stories that we tell, and it's the hippies invented the computers and that was good, and the hippies invented the computer and that was bad uh and this is like a dominant version of palo alto history uh but the roots are so much deeper than that that you really can go back to herbert hoover mm-hmm. and look at herbert hoover's politics and the associational logic with which he conducted government both at the commerce department and then in the presidency and then also in his post presidency which i devote more attention to in this book than people typically at Stanford, gets. As a hoover institute and Well, and he's not just at Stanford. He's a member of the first class of Stanford University. Mm -hmm. He's the prototypical Stanford man. And he takes those values and he brings them all around the world that he's in Peru, he's in South Africa, he's in Australia, he's in China, he's in Russia, and everywhere he goes, he's bringing Stanford engineers along with him, as well as the Stanford education and the Stanford way of approaching the world, which is at least as much about labor relations as it is about the technology itself.
0: Yeah, very much so. Uh, Speaking of hippies, Steve Jobs was indeed a hippie. Um, How is? But there is that side to it. There is that sort of live and let live side to it. There's the uh, you know, lo- he loved to walk around Palo Alto. He never really left. And he stayed very close to where he was born. You know what I mean? Like, the man didn't go far.
2: Well, it's a nice place. Yeah. And it's funny going through the history, how much of the history is driven by people just saying, like, I want to live there because it's be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Down to, like, 19th century, early 20th century uh, Mediterranean immigrants mm-hmm. from Portugal very or similar. Italy or – land in the East Coast and say, I got to get out of here. Where where can you get me yeah. uh, that looks a little bit more like home? Up to, you know, in the post-war period, someone like Art Fong, who's an engineer at HP, mm-hmm. who grew up in the Bay Area, who says, I don't want to work on the East Coast. I don't want to work in Rochester. I got to get back to California. Mm-hmm. Um So that does play a, a major role And the maintenance of Palo Alto as this sort of placid suburb has taken work, right? And if you walk around Palo Alto, it does look like these buildings are sort of hiding, and that's because of the particular zoning restrictions that hide industry behind these bushes and, and create this placid suburb. And the venture but it's also, capitalists.
0: There's also the venture capitalists are all there, too.
2: Oh, a lot of them, certainly. Yeah. But it's worth looking at pictures of Steve Jobs from the 80s, as well as, uh, you know, the more recent oh, and the earlier suits, period. suits. His suits. Not just suits, but it looks exactly like Tucker Carlson. I think Tucker Carlson is trying to look yeah. like Steve Jobs. Yeah, he had in the that 80s. tie
0: and the I remember them
2: and the hair. Yeah. It's exactly yeah. the same. It's really yeah. amazing. And when I think of Steve Jobs, that's who I think of. Is this guy in the eighties yeah. who's got you know Filipino housewives around the Bay Area you know wiring boards in their kitchens mm-hmm. un- unventilated while he's you know selling Apple as something that he invented. Yeah, uh, that's the Steve Jobs that I think of, and that. Is very little to do with like yeah. the hippie values that we think of. That's you know? a fair
0: point. He did evolve, though, at least
2: and got a better haircut. Well, and extended the Apple production mode, yeah. right? And yeah. Now you got you don't have just housewives in the Bay Area. You, you have over. like the largest production system uh, known to man in some ways.
1: So i and I hear some similar themes to what Kara says a lot, and that is people leaving Palo Alto and how difficult San Francisco is uh, to live in. That that gets a lot of headlines, but the reality mm-hmm. is, and, and, and tell me, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but my sense is that you're saying that Palo Alto still has this secret sauce, still attracts the best and brightest, and it sounds to me like you're bullish on on Palo Alto. Well, One, is that true? And two, if you are, what do you think is the threats? Like, what could derail? I mean, I, was, I said on the last show, Malcolm, when I talked to the kids in my year MBAs at NYU— from all over the world, one in three of them plans to go to the Bay Area. I mean, to think about the human capital pipeline that is just flowing into that area. It's just such an unbelievable resource. What do you see, if any, as the biggest threats to Palo Alto, um, in terms of it maintaining its, its presence and importance in the ecosystem?
2: Well, it, keeps trying to destroy the world, right? Uh, (laughs) There's Palo Alto Alto (laughs) is part of the world, and that's something Palo Alto frequently forgets. So if you look at the 19th century and the mining technology, you know, the town where Leland Stanford on the frontier is a barman slash judge, uh, the hydraulic miners are mining under the town to the degree where just after Stanford leaves, the whole town just slides down the mountain because they undermined the foundation of their very existence. And you see the same thing of, you know, what's the signature product of Palo Alto in the 60s? It's not the moon rocket, it's the nuclear missile, which is a cocked gun put to the world's head saying, if anything happens to us, everyone gets it. Um, and now we see environmental destruction uh, as a direct consequence of the mode of production that Palo Alto has foisted upon the world and they can't hand, they can't deal with that right if you look at how what the, what is their solution their solution is find another earth somewhere yeah. right it's yes. go to mars yeah and that's not going to happen they're hitting really like hard planetary limits
0: yeah they don't so like consequences i'm not bullish on
2: palo alto they're i'm not, definitely they're, they're not, not good bullish. with the
0: consequences those people they don't really care cuz it's so pretty there and they can get a good coffee That's really, when I
2: think about it, like, uh, like Oscar Wilde, the portrait of Dorian Gray, Mm. right? Where it's got the portrait aging in the, in the attic and Mm. tech is sort of like Dorian Gray looking at this portrait saying everything in my life is so great except for this darn portrait. Like, if yeah. I, I just got to fix this portrait, then everything will be great. That's a really good comparison. And they don't understand that it's the, like, other side of the same coin. It's the consequence of their own prosperity. So
0: what is the solution, though? I'm going to press you for a solution because there is still, you know, look, Musk just moved back his engineering headquarters, which is really the heart of the situation to Palo Alto uh, from Texas because nobody wants to live in Texas in the summer or much of the year. And, and the, the abortion thing seems to bother many women, uh, and, uh, and men too. What has changed? Cause I do perceive a difference of younger startups, you know, in mentality and consequence. And it's not just lip service. It's actual thoughtfulness around it. Um, do you p- pick that up or not?
2: I think there's a lot of, uh, thoughtfulness coming from tech workers about their place in the world and their place in the industry and their industry's place in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what impact, the consequences yeah. of that would be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a throwback to the sixties and where you had tech workers doing very close research about the role they were playing in the world, uh, and in the war in South Asia in particular. Mm -hmm. So I see echoes of that in the tech worker organizing that we see now. But it's a really uphill battle, and uh, tech is pretty committed to showing that it has control of its labor costs, which I think is what we saw in this last uh, round of layoffs. Mm
1: -hmm. If you were had the ear of the city council. I don't know the politics of Palo Alto. What advice would you have for them?
2: Well, the way I end the book is I talk about Stanford in particular having an opportunity to return land, uh, land that it is acknowledged is the ancestral land of the Moekmo Ohlone, who are a politically constituted tribe in Palo Alto and South Bay that Stanford acknowledges as the rightful uh, inheritors of this land. And they have an opportunity to really change their role in the world by returning some of this land, creating a land base for this tribe that had been dispossessed at the beginning of this not very long history. Uh, and I think that's a really low-hanging fruit, right? Stanford's big. They got 8,000 acres that they've managed to maintain since this colonial period.
0: Farm. I love when they call it the farm. I
2: want to slap Well, them. yeah. Farm for what, yeah. right?
1: So to what end though, Malcolm? What, what would be the 10 years yeah. on after they do that? What Other than trying to write a historical wrong to what end? What?
2: Well, I think it's it's about leadership. And I think the only way we're going to solve the sort of problems that we're talking about is the cessation of lands to people who are prepared to tend them responsibly. And Palo Alto and the tech industry is really not. And they've shown themselves to be irresponsible over this entire period. And now they're hitting on this planetary limit. And so the question is, are we going to continue giving our resources as a society? To these tech entrepreneur leaders, are we going to ask them to colonize another planet for us and to uh maintain our species that way? Some people believe that.
1: Usually we wrap up with with we like to kind of land the plane on a positive note. But just to just to push back a little bit, the the culture we're talking about here, granted, it has huge externalities and we talk about this, but they've created tremendous innovation and economic prosperity. And, you know research that's resulted in a lot of very positive things for the world. Don't you think there's a there's a balance here? It feels I mean, i the first we're the first to criticize big tech, but if you could press a button as the US and not have Palo Alto or to hold onto it, wouldn't you choose to hold on to it? Hasn't it been a net good? And I hate the word net because it it doesn't absolve us from trying to address these externalities. But hasn't Palo Alto been a net positive for the US and the world?
2: Definitely from the, for the U.S., uh, and definitely not for the world, I hmm. don't think. Because that threat to destroy the world that is Palo Alto, right? The Palo Alto is this threat to the world that mm-hmm. if anything happens to the American project, uh, the whole world gets it has been incredibly destructive and has allowed the, inequalities that structured the world a 100 years ago to persist into the present day in a way that a 100 years ago they did not think was possible. Mm-hmm. Even a capitalist like Keynes, for example, uh, everyone assumed by 2020s, you know, we would have a world of equality. And instead, we've maintained a world inequality that hurdles ever closer to, again, these like real hard planetary limits. And so if you ask someone in 2050, you know, was Palo Alto good for the world? Was mm-hmm. the tech industry good for the world? Uh, we got to be able to imagine that far ahead, even when Palo Alto asks us not to. That is an excellent point, Malcolm. I like the pushback. Well,
0: well said. It's great to have very different opinions about these things. Um, and Scott beats up on oligarchs and the love of billionaires quite a bit, just so <laughs> you know. Um, Palo Alto, A History of California Capitalism and the World is Available Now. Thank you, Malcolm Harris.
1: Congrats on the book, Malcolm. It was nice to meet you.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Scott, you were—that was excellent. You did a great job. I have to say, go on. That was, a good, that was a, you did. You will asked
2: Poppy be impressed.
0: If you knew her, yes, she would. Well, did yes, you hang out would. with Poppy this weekend? Yes, I did. We had lunch. Our children Did you guys had talk lunch. about?
1: It? She does she want to? know. Did. She wants to be my friend, right? No. No.
0: I, no. Well, no, we didn't really talk about you at all. We talked about the kids and
1: yeah.
0: her work and stuff like that. That's what we talked about. But we will talk about. You. I did I write her that. that we discussed her on the show, and now she wants to meet you.
1: How's oh, that? nice. Yeah. yeah. We've well, met before. She's interviewed me on I mean, Amazon. Lunch.
0: I mean lunch. I mean, okay. like real meeting, people right. meeting, possible okay. friendship. That kind it's of not
1: thing. all about me. Okay. It's about me. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: would really like her. You know what? Yeah. Who's great? Her husband so, is amazing. Amazing oh, yeah? guy. Yeah. You'd like him. You and he would get along like peas and carrots. He's really terrific. Um, and he has really, she has lovely children. I have to say they're enthusiastic. Yeah, the None of that
1: surprises me.
0: They showed me all their taekwondo moves. Her husband's like a like a champion taekwondo person. Really? Yeah. They're, they're a nice family, but I uh, the kids could kick very high. I was a little frightened at some points. I seven, <laughs> so I got that girl for them. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, Clara cool. just was like, "What the hell's happening here?" Did
1: your kids do karate uh, when they were younger?
0: Uh Alex did, and it's it was really okay. Wonderful. And then they did a summer thing where they went uh they went uh you know for a camp, a summer camp and
1: Yeah.
0: Uh I, you know, I don't think Louie liked it much and Alex was pretty good at it, but you know, i think it's great i
1: i, 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 I went i was i was so impressed with the values and discipline and yeah. never strike first i just thought yeah. it was really yeah I, it's, I a, it's it big great. in san francisco so it was yeah. easy
0: uh do you know i have a judo a green belt in judo do you really i do
1: you're a I complex person Karis, which i didn't know, I know. That. i'm
0: gonna flip you sometime i'm good at the defensive flip
1: anytime
0: yeah i use anytime. your weight and your strength to for my benefit Yep, that's why no. I But then one time someone sat on me and that was the end. Of that
1: the was day. it? You were done?
0: Yeah, a lady. was. I, I got down to 105 of pounds. I can't believe I was that skinny.
1: Yeah, but at four foot one. <laughs>
0: no, it was skinny. I was skinny. But let me just say, uh, someone sat on my head and my face with their butt and I said, that's enough of that.
1: No, yeah, I didn't go for the no. for the next belt, the brown belt. Unless ballot. you're paying for that, that's not enjoyable. And then I
0: got a little culty. I'll be honest with you; I got a little too culty for Kara Swisher. Yeah, Scott, one more quick break. I really appreciate your questions. There, we'll be back for wins and fails. Okay, Scott, let's hear some wins and fails. I'm going to go first. Great. Uh. I we gave a, a young reporter named Hannah Dreyer a big award. I do the Livingston Awards many years ago for her stellar reporting, um, and she put in a report from the New York Times this week on migrant children as young as thirteen working in the supply chains of major that. corporations. I got to tell you, this I think she's the finest reporter around. Here's why: mm. because she did great reporting. There was no judgment. She didn't overwrite it she just she was a camera to it. something that's not new by the way my grandmother used to spool thread with her hand she used to say her hand hurt from when she was a kid doing child labor um in a in a, in a sewing factory right mm-hmm. so i'm a, this is not a new fresh thing from immigrants my grandmother was an immigrant um but it was devastating and she did it in this way of telling the story of these people and what happens and the HHS had Really needs to have some things to answer for in terms of speeding up moving these kids through the system. And then they end up trying to go to school and then working 12 hours, you know, putting Cheerios in a box at a, at a factory, you know, or, or whatever it happens to be, construction, far too young. They come here unsupported because they managed to get in, but their parents don't. And then they get these sponsors and the whole sponsorship program is fucked. And even if they go with people who are relatives, the relatives don't know them. And it, and they're already under a lot of financial pressure. And so these kids have to, and of course they have worked too, their whole lives to keep their head above the water. It was, uh, Anna Dreyer did such a good job and she didn't cast blame. She just said, here's how it was happening. And it was, you know, it, she didn't have to cast blame. We saw it was so beautifully wrought and so fair and so sad that I just was, I was, I thought about it all weekend. And, it, you know, again, not new, but the consequences of our decisions our politicians make. And you have these Marco Rubios, et cetera, mouthing off on Twitter. And this comes in and you're like, this is what we need to fix. This has been going on for decades, these child labor issues and goes way back to Jacob Reese and all across the world. It's not a new, fresh thing, but man, was this a, it shouldn't be happening at least in this country for sure.
1: Um, I, I love that, Karen. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. I, that article rattled me as much as anything I've read. And I, I, you just keep, you read it and you keep saying, wait, this is happening in America? Yeah. A 14-year-old who who falls asleep in class because she has to leave after mm-hmm. class, she goes to work for nine hours in a factory sewing? Yeah. You're know, like, okay, uh, you just get so angry, you're like, someone needs to go to jail. <laughs> it's just... yeah. I would say Xavier Bacara,
0: really. I was just beyond belief angry at failing on his job.
1: And how do we get, you know, I think like, do we get nonprofits or churches? And how do we?
0: Didn't she do a good job, though? It was just wonderful. She didn't. It it could have gone a different ways.
1: And it was reporting. The story wasn't about her. There wasn't adjectives and embellishments. It wasn't, you didn't need it. It wasn't lifetime and soap opera. It was just great reporting.
0: It was a camera to what's happening and she's yeah, really, t- this, I, like, I, like I find her to be the fine, one of the finest reporters in, in our country. Um, and she's young, very young. Anyway, you should read it, do yourself a favor. And it also, again, we're not stupid. This is nothing new. There are abuses happening all over the place. We understand that. But this, this one is, should not be happening. And it should, there are things in place to fix it. And it is not occurring because of these ridiculous partisan fights we're having about immigration. These are hardworking people and there's nothing wrong with hard work. But I, I wrote my, my, my thesis at Columbia when I was at journalism school about kids in SRO hotels because their families were, these people live in SRO stuff too. Mm-hmm. What happened? I was doing like a stupid story to school and this kid fell asleep at the desk and I was like, what's happening there? Just noticed it, you know. And said, well, she has to take the bus from down in Herald Square to come up to 96th Street. And I said, why is she in a school there? Well, she's in an SRO hotel. So she's got to get up an hour and a half earlier to get up here on a bus, la, la, la. And so I rode the bus back with her. And family lived in an SRO hotel that the New York City had made permanent. It was supposed to be a temporary solution for family housing. And I had a photographer. Same thing, that these kids were just subject to so much... Uh, extra work in order to get an education and she didn't even have to have a second job at this point but i just i don't know it just stuck with me in a way that very few stories do anymore congratulations hen i mean in a bad way in a good way in a bad way i guess um and so I, that was a um that was a fail and a win i guess um i don't know if i have a win do i have a win Louis swisher once again best brother that's what I'm was. Yeah, he was great with the kids and carried them all over Chinatown on his back and they had a great time. And just a, I would hire him as a babysitter in 14 seconds. <laughs> he's
1: so good. Well, I think you have. Yeah, you're just <laughs> not paying him. <laughs> I have, but I don't. Speaking of child labor.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Um, he's 20. He's almost 21, Scott. I'm good with it. And he knows how lucky he is too, by the way. He knows his privilege. He really does in a good way, but he works really hard too. Anyway, I felt nice. uh, very, Grateful for my children. After reading this, especially, I felt so sad for all these kids. Go ahead, Scott.
1: Uh, so my fail is there is um, proposed legislation from uh, Netanyahu in Israel that would effectively oh, yeah. replace um, dictator uh, their ju- judiciary. It, it's sort of the way to imagine it is imagine if the evangelical wing of the Republican Party figured out a way to replace the Supreme Court. And it is just it really is frightening, and i uh, am an investor in and on the board of several companies started by Israelis, specifically mm-hmm. people who serve in the Israeli army and I've always been just so um drawn uh, to these individuals because I find sure. they have such a uh gnome
0: at post right
1: well gnome uh Nadab Shaval at open web I mean these mm-hmm. are just such impressive they are young people who feel a, you know they see themselves as, as is, uh, I, and one of the reasons I'm a big advocate of national service is they typically see themselves as Israelis first before they see, see themselves as conservatives or liberals. And they oftentimes meet their partner, their co-founders in the army. They oftentimes meet their spouse in the army. And Dadov just got married and as a beautiful, uh, beautiful little girl, he met his, his wife uh, in the Israeli army. Anyways, I'm just an enormous fan of Israeli culture, and just for what Malcolm was saying, it's it's paid off enormously for the tech community. And the tech community is um, pretty significant players are uprooting and leaving because Netanyahu has decided to give in to this extremist right faction that wants to he do away. He is an
0: extremist right faction.
1: Um, so it 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 is severely undermining uh, uh, Israel's claim to be a democratic. I agree. Um, a a, a dem, you know a, a democratic society, and this is, and when you think about Israel, it's it's such a fantastic ally. It's such a beacon of prosperity. And the tech community, you know, distinct of the morality of all this, the tech community is just is is seriously for the first time. I know so many Israelis who Israel's their home, no matter what. They're always pro Israel, and yeah. for the first time, I hear them first time saying, mm-hmm. "I may be done with Israel." And to hear these words come out of their mouths. Yeah. It just, it's so shocking. And to know what's going on over there and what the equivalent would be here. Uh, so I, I think it's a dangerous moment for Israel. And typically when countries go very religious, they become very warlike. <laughs> and that is not where we want Israel right now. And also no. the people advocating for these changes tend to be people who get a disproportionate amount of government subsidies because they either don't work or they want to occupy. The West Bank. I mean, it's just this is just Israel's headed down a, in my opinion, what appears to be a very dangerous path right now, and unproductive. Yeah, and so it's that's also because he
0: got sued for corruption, which you know he he's trying to get back at that too for his own dirty, dirty-handed business that he's over the many years. This guy is a dangerous politician; has always been from the get-go. From the get-go.
1: So. You know, my, my fail is what has been a beacon for democracy and one of our most steadfast allies and an incredible epicenter of prosperity, losing or potentially not appreciating, um, uh, democratic institutions. My Go win on. is there, there was some research this weekend or last week showing that, um, working mothers are actually spending as much time with their kids now is non-working mothers used to. Basically we're spending more and more time with our kids, but that's not what my win is about. Research that got less um, press was there was some research done on mothers who quote unquote coddle their infants and toddlers, and that is constantly looking after them, touching them, um, um, reinforcing them, playing with them, coddling them.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so there was some notion that, okay, is that good or bad? Yeah. And there's research that shows that when the kid becomes a teen, when you clear out every obstacle, that can have negative consequences because they develop sort of this princess princess and peace syndrome where they get to college
2: Mm. and they're
1: so used to people clearing out every obstacle. They've had so many sanitary wipes used on their lives. They have none of their own immunities. They get their heart broken. They get their first C and they freak out. There's some legitimate truth to the coddling teenagers can have negative externalities. However, however, this research on coddling uh, infants and toddlers, when mm-hmm. they finally got to uh, the age where they could register the outcomes of these kids, what they found mm-hmm. is is that the kids who were in the quote unquote coddled group, yeah, mothers all word, over them, ahead. loving yeah. them, yeah, less prone to depression, yeah, uh, uh, more likely to engage in productive relationships, hundred percent. And I just love. The summary of this research. Yeah. yeah. And the summary is the following. It's impossible to love your children too much. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was so lovely. Yeah. And it's just such nice reinforcement that every instinct you have to, you know, let them fall
0: down. And
1: yeah, uh, to, to, to love, you know, babies and your toddlers and to coddle them and spoil them and be attentive to them. That there isn't a downside, that there isn't well, a need to take their blanket and burn it and have little boys man up. There isn't yeah. a need for that. Yeah,
0: I would agree. That, that I that, do that. think there's a need for letting them do their own things. Like today, Claire's like, I'll do it. And you have to let them. Like that. Sure. You, that's that's coddling. Kind of that's, that's, yes, it is that's coddling. Loving. But I, I tried to put on her shoes and she's like, no, I'll do it. And I'm like, I have Fine. to let her do it. You know, I wanted to do it, of course, because I'm faster. Yeah. But um, one of the things that's uh, – I would agree with that. I think – of the many people I cover over the years, the one thing I always think of, of the really bad ones, I thought, I, I always want to ask them, I'm, I always want to say to them, I'm sorry your parents didn't hug you too enough, but that's, you got to stop, right? It's not going to happen. It's, you're not, not going to get it back. Every one of them have, has been, has lacked love. I just don't, I don't, I don't, I can't. There's no, I, there's no expert to it, but it is a very close You know, not everybody has the, my dad died when I was five, but I remember him loving me. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. coddling me. Um, and so it's a really important thing to do that. There's no amount that you're a hundred percent right. And it's, you know, Amanda's very demonstrative to the kids more so than I am. I'm, I'm actually, we hugged a lot this weekend. Actually, I was thinking about that, um, and it was good for me too. You know what I mean? It's not just good for, it's not They're just great. good for the we're kids. Mammals. It's good we're for the supposed parents. to lie
1: on top of each other.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's we're what happened. To touch they all each did. other. I was coughing like a mother. But, um, but one of the things that's important about that, it'll be interesting to see when they study um, the COVID situation and people being in the pandemic. I believe my two younger kids are going to be happier than ever because we were all around for them because mm-hmm. we were stuck in the house, including the boys. Their relationship between my two older sons and the two younger ones is beautiful. It's just beautiful. And I and, and we spent a lot of time with them. So it'll be interesting. And you spend a lot more time with your kids, right? It'll be interesting to see the, I'd love someone to study that, like pandemic kids or something. Anyway, uh, uh, negatives about school, et cetera, et cetera, the externalities. But that's an interesting, to me will be an interesting study too at some point
1: did your boys I see my my boys can't stand mm-hmm. each other they genuinely don't like each other for
0: five minutes no they do oh they my do. god
1: they go at it yeah, they that's go normal. at it that's i'll normal. text them when i'm on the road i try and text them a lot and it just digresses into they well, argue over are they? everything 12 yep. and 15
0: yeah exactly that's louis was like stop following me alex stop yeah. hanging with my friends yeah. that is so typical now i could like throw them through the window easily without a problem but um yeah that's normal that's normal.
1: Yeah, they well, get along pretty good. They're being very I, normal.
0: I, I used, to, you know, what I used to do? I'll tell you. Can I give you a piece of parently advice? Oh, I used to find an activity that they just did together, whether it was going to do ceramics or, but something that's a thing, like like they had to do together that was fun. Um, and I would just drop them off and say, "Good luck, get home." Mm-hmm. I used to do. I, I purposely make them hang out together, away from parents, doing doing something. Versus just hanging out. And I thought that was, it worked really well.
1: Yeah, I dropped my boys off at a ceramics class and I get a call from someone <laughs> saying that one's been shivved in the neck with a piece of broken glass. I'm yeah. just telling
0: you, let them develop their own relationship and stay out of it. That's right. what I was
1: Today's saying. show was produced by Larry. No, Neiman. no, no, no. We no, want to no. hear
0: from you send us your questions about business tech or whatever's on your mind. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. Scott and I will be at a ceramics class now. That's what's <laughs> happening. Um, and we're going to paint something lovely for Easter, perhaps. I don't know, yeah. Scott. Let's think creatively. All right, Scott, that's the show. We'll be back on Friday for more. Now read us out.
1: Today's show was produced by Lara and Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie undertot engineered engineer in this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Mia Silverio. May Make sure you subscribe to the show, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. You cannot love your children too much,
0: nor can you hug your cocaine bear enough.
1: Cocaine bear.